Welcome to Unashamed, Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming unto Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed, Unafraid. Chris. Yes, sir. So... We got uh, Chris and Sarah to join us for our podcast today. Not me, Chris. A different Chris. Right, right. This was a different Chris. <laughs> Chris only has one wife. That's all. <laughs> uh, but we have a different Chris and, and uh, his wife, Sarah, joined us today. And we and, don't have Steve today. Nope. It's uh, it's just you and I today, Chris. Um, so Steve is doing a uh, facilitating a group therapy, so he couldn't be here and and frankly, you and I know our, our guests better anyway. We went to dinner oh, with yeah, them, um, you know, so felt like it would be more appropriate to have you and I do the uh, do the interview with them today. Yep, and I loved it. It was awesome. So what stood out to you, Chris? Um, what really stood out to me was the, the point that he changed his perspective of God. Mm-hmm. Um, he had that experience um, that you guys will you guys will hear where um, he was going to baptize going to baptize his son and waited the last minute. He, I, you know, first he was, he was like, I mean, atheist or right. agnostic, you know, right. and, and he just didn't know if that that was something that he wanted to do. And um, the day of he was like, oh, yeah, I want to I want to baptize my son. And, and she was like, nope, you're not going to. You didn't take the time to to try to even connect with God on yeah. this and, and come get an answer on whether or not you should do this. And, and she, you know, kind of put her foot down, foot down, which first of all is amazing that she was able to even do that. Yeah. Um, some courage but there. then that he, you know, at first it hurt him, but then he totally changed because of that moment. Right. And he, he threw the shovel away at that point and quit digging. Quit digging. He was yeah. like, this is my rock bottom. And he talks about that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know, and, um, I really appreciated in the, you know, in the bonus content, you know, Sarah has had some trauma in her past and she kind of talks about, um, what it's been like to have Chris, um, as he's been, been able to fight for her heart really created the space for her to begin to heal and face her own traumas. Um, stuff that she just kind of had to felt like she had to put on the back burner and couldn't really work through those until Chris really started to show up for her. Right. And fight for her heart. And so I, I really love that. So um, you outsiders are in for a treat there. I think that's it. I think we jump right into the episode. Okay. With that, let's jump in and we'll we'll join Chris and Sarah. Chris, Sarah, it's great to have you here with us. Thanks for joining us. Chris Ashworth, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey, well, I, I just turned 40. Um, I grew up in St. George. I'm an electrical engineer. I went to BYU. I went on a mission. Um, and I'm... A mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's right. I went to South <laughs> Korea. That's right. Awesome. Um, and uh, I'm still uh, converting. Still converting, still in that process, and, and it's been a very recent and, and a powerful process um, in just in the last three months. Um, so, um, 
yeah, and I'm also a recovering addict, um, uh, all sorts of things. So, okay. Well, why don't you tell? Let's let's dive into that a little bit. Tell us a little bit about um, maybe the what type of home you were raised in, just just briefly, and kind of what brought you, how you were introduced to your addiction, and um, maybe end off with kind of what the height of that addiction looked like. Maybe a little, and uh, we'll kind of ask you questions along the way. Sure. Um, yeah, I was raised in a, a two-parent home. Um, I'm the oldest of four kids, and um, uh, you know, I, I was raised in a very happy home. I, when when Sarah and I were getting married, um, I I told her, "Come meet my family." You know that they're they're amazing. You know, just come in. I I saw I, I hadn't been through therapy yet, and um, I'm not. Not, nothing negative about my family, but I, I just hadn't seen the all the 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 culture, all the things that that got in the way and contributed to my addiction. Um, so I I grew up in a in what I can you know a, a very happy home. My parents love each other. They're they're still married. Um, they've fought through a lot of hard things, um, and there's still some hard things uh, there. Um, but they are together and they love each other. It's, it's a big deal. That's, that's a good foundation for me. So um, when did your addiction start for you then? Yeah. Uh, when I was, you know, the, coming into puberty, um, it was about 12 years old. Um, uh, uh, so my, I struggled with an addiction to pornography and, and masturbation. Um, regularly from about 12 years old to 26. Um, and that started um, just slowly, you know, over weeks. Um, you know, I would act out every every few weeks at first. Um, and over the, the months and, and years, it became much more frequent. Um, I would find, you know, material to, to look at, um, you know, in, in all sorts of places. Um, but you know, I, th- I think masturbation as as the root, just wanting that um, the emotional whatever that comes <laughs> from that. Um, you know, whenever I would ejaculate, like that was just in. Uh, I would walk away from it uh, af- after that, right? Um, but as I got more and more into it, I would prolong that and and look longer and longer. So, so it, you know, it changed that way over the years. Yeah. So, um, prior to, um, meeting Sarah, had you really told anybody about any of this or talked to anybody about it or looked, sought for help? Sure. Yeah. I, I, uh, lied to a number of bishops. Um, and that's been a big thing for me to, own. Um, I, I lied to a lot of people about it. <laughs> um, did I tell anybody about it? Um, I told a, a few bishops about it. Um, yeah. I told a bishop right before my mission. Um, and that was a, a big experience we could talk about more uh, later if you want to. And I told, uh, I confessed to a mission president, um, you know, while I was out. Um, and then a, a couple more bishops after my mission. Um, and finally, I, I what what turned the I turned the corner when I finally talked to a counselor and faced 
acting out and acting out again. So there's there's a lot more to talk about there. Okay. And then for you, Sarah, what what was it like for you growing up and in, in the home that you grew up in? And yeah, I um, <laughs> my home is interesting. The positives are that my mother loved me, and I felt that, and she listened to me. Um, but and then also, I grew up in a home with a lot of socioeconomic privilege. So those are the the strengths. Um, but there were a lot of drawbacks. Both of my parents worked, and I was raised by nannies. Um, and then there were a lot of problems there. My parents also divorced when I was nine years old, and there were a lot of problems there. Um, and then there was a lot of abuse and also complete disconnection. Like, I guess I had some connection to my mom and one sibling, but other than that, we avoided each other as much as possible. So. And that's just, the, that, that was the family atmosphere, or was that because of tension that was going on between parents or... Um, I think, what was it? You know, my mom was wounded and she worked 60 hours a week. Um, my uh, Emotionally wounded. Emotionally wounded from my parents' divorce. Um, my sisters had some mental health issues. Uh, so there was just, it was a really um, unpleasant place to be. (laughs) So I think we all just kind of avoided each other as much as possible in order to live our own lives. So for me, a lot of my family experience was actually through friends at school um, because that's where I could connect to people. Okay. So in, in the uh, description stuff that you sent over to us before Chris, you talked about an experience that you had when you were 16. Um, that you remember feeling the spirit of, uh, of at church one day. Do you remember talking about that? Yeah, yeah, I do. So if you, if you can expand on that, I actually highlighted that because I was like, that's kind of a, I mean, a lot of addicts will go through that and I just wanted you to kind of expand on that and what that was like for you and what the overall experience was for you. Okay, yeah. So uh, the addiction cycle, I went through many times and and many times more than I needed to because I never reached out or very, very rarely reached out. Um, and just one example of that um, was when I was about 16 years old. Um, I remember being at church in sacrament meeting and having a good experience and being like, wow, this, you know, um, God is with me. Um, I, I don't know if I even felt that, um, but I felt resolved. I felt uh, supported and comforted. And I felt resolved that, that I would never act out again. You know, it had been four years um, and I felt so, I felt determined at that time. Um, but man, I got home from church and half an hour later, I was on the computer um, looking at pornography. Um, and that, that just blows me away that like, we, and we've all done that. We're like, oh, you know what? I'm in this holiday or today, today's the last day I'm going to do this. I'm never going to do this again. And then within minutes, or I mean, like yours was 30 minutes later, you're like right back into it. The the adversary just knows how to work his way into our lives in such a quick manner. Right. He's like, nope, I'm not going to let him change yet. Yeah. And he'll work his way to dismantle that as quickly as possible, as, as you know. Um, so, you know, we're t- you're talking about church a little bit. So both of you, I just want to ask you, what was your relationship or your perspective 
um, about God, like as you know, as as a youth and as a teen, and maybe even young adult, kind of who was God to you? And tell me about that relationship a little bit. You want to start? Well, for me, um, and actually, can I add a piece onto what I said before? Absolutely. Yep. Um, so I was abused by I think it's six different people. I kind of lose count, and so I think, and then my sisters. Sexually, physically, t- emotionally, tell, tell me. I mean, we don't need to go into details, but just. A lot of emotional abuse, some neglect, uh, some physical abuse, but it wasn't constant. And then there were a lot of, there was a lot of sexual trauma. Okay. Um, that's the best way to describe it. Okay. And so, so I grew up with, with that. And I think my sisters have their own stories as well. And so I think that also contributed to us each just, you know, without any emotional support or connection, we kind of each found our own way to cope. Right. Went all different directions. Okay. Back to your question about my testimony. I was raised a member of God and who is God. Thank you. I was raised a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I would say that we didn't really practice it much in the home. I mean, kind of like that's what we all did, but I, everything I learned about church came from at, from at church. And so, but I don't know. I, I really, I guess I'm a perfectionist and I follow the rules. So I, I was straight, you know, and did all the things you're supposed to do, but it wasn't until, and I had spiritual experiences, but I, I wouldn't say, I would say God was very distant. And especially with, I had a very conflicted relationship with my dad. And I learned later that you project your dad onto God. And so I very much saw like those were kind of the same, right? I saw God as, as aloof and even was afraid of him. Um, and, and, and afraid of how he would respond to me. Um, but then in college, um, I went to a college that had people from all over the world. And so I was exposed to every, just so many different things. And I intentionally went deep with looking for what was true in the world. And that was when I think I really started to pursue God and, and what he wanted for me and what was real. I would say it wasn't until much later that I had a personal relationship with him, but I at least, and through therapy, started to change that perception of him to see yeah. God as a kind. Yeah, and we'll we'll go there, but I wanted to, you know, the reason I wanted to go there was to just start to, who was he then? And we'll get to who is he now. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of have us, give us an idea of what he was like for you. Chris, um, why don't you tell us, your pers- what was your perspective of God and who was he to you too? Yep. I, I didn't think much about who God was. Um, I thought more about um, church um, and, um, and being worthy. Um, and checking the boxes, right. And doing all the rules. Okay. Yeah. And I would, I would pray sometimes, but it was always, um, but it wasn't trying to pray to a person, uh, you know, or, or visualizing a, a father. So I would say, I, I think addiction particularly kept me pretty numb and, and distracted from, from really going there in any meaningful way um, in, into who God is or, or trying to connect with him. Okay. So a lot of just church and going to church. Um, and yeah. and looking like I'm, yeah. I'm uh, 
looking like a God-fearing person or whatever, but not so much actually working on a develop and developing a relationship with with deity. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I would say too, just really, really quickly, just, I would say that I was sincere uh, a lot of times. Like I, I went on a mission sincerely um, and I would go to church sincerely. Um, I, I didn't mean to be, um, you know, didn't mean to be a rule keeper, but I didn't know differently. Yeah, so so how did you guys meet? And then once we talk, now that we're going to get into that a little bit, talk about... Um, when did she find out about your addiction? Did you just come out and tell her? Did she catch you? What was that like for you guys? So, so talk a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. How did we meet? I moved out to, uh, California after, after I graduated from college and, um, I was on the hunt, uh, you know, for, for a life. And so I'd made a list of every, every girl I, I would meet that I was interested in and, she ended up on the top of the list. We met at a, a stake meeting, you know, in the evening. Um, I showed up late to it because um, there was a football game or something before. And and she didn't know, but I, you know, she, I, I went over and uh, I saw her. And, I, you know, I was talking to the girl next to her because um, I knew the girl next to her. And then she turned around, and, you know, I saw her face and uh, ended the conversation with the other, the other woman, right, right then. And we spent the rest of the evening talking. I got her number and, um, we, we were married within three and a half months. No, they engaged within three and a half months, married within seven months. So um, that's awesome. And then, so, so did she know before you guys got married, did she know anything about your addiction at all? Yes. So when we were dating, um, and it was getting serious. Um, I'm not even sure what stage. When we were dating, um, I told her about um, my addiction. I, I told her that I was an, uh, addicted to pornography. Um, I, I had um, been sober um, from acting out for a, a year, a year and a half. So I may have phrased it all in the past, but, um, but it was, you know, I, I hadn't gone through deep recovery or, or anything, but I, I'm, I told her about it. You might share your reaction, but. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to yeah. hear? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was yeah. our next question. So, yeah. 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 So we've been dating and he says that he, you know, needs to share something with me and it's a big deal. So I was kind of worried and wondering what was going to happen and kind of braced for that. And then he told me, you know, an addiction to pornography. And all I knew, especially from just hearing stuff, you know, in young women was that pornography was evil. It was bad. Stay away from it. (laughs) Like, like I remember hearing that and thinking, oh my goodness, like you run from this. You don't marry this. You don't stick with this. Like you, you run. But what was astounding to me is that as he shared, um, it was a gift from God. I just, my heart was filled with love. And I, I actually glimpsed or understood his heart in a way that didn't make sense. That was a gift from God. And, and I just felt love and compassion and even cried for the struggle that Chris had gone through. Um, and I remember just kind of reeling after that, thinking, like, my goodness, like, I feel solid love for this person. I don't feel any condemnation or fear. Um, but can I really just 
keep dating or marry this person. And, and then I talked to my therapist and I know now how wise she was, but she said, she said, Sarah, you'll be hard pressed to find a man who is not, or who has not had experiences with pornography. And this man is willing to talk about it. And that will make a huge difference. And so in faith, we continued our relationship and got married. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's awesome. So I'm going to assume, you know, the, uh, did you figure that marriage would fix the whole thing now that you could be sexually active? My dad told me it would right, right oh. before we got married. He's oh, like, wow. you know, you've talked about being addicted, but, um, you know, now you're getting married. So you're, you're going to be, so everything will go away and it's all resolved. <laughs> and as, as we so often know, that isn't quite the case. Um, it's not very often that we get a parent saying that <laughs> yeah. that's the case yeah. where everybody just assumes that's the case. Not right. having your dad be like, Hey, it'll all go away. <laughs> this will all take care of it. Yeah. No. So, you know, just tell us a little bit, um, Chris, just tell us what's the height of addiction for you? How do, and, or, or what does rock bottom look like? Where are you at? What, what behaviors are, are you participating in? What's your uh, view of yourself, your spouse, God, those kinds of things? Yeah. So I, I had, I've had many rock bottoms <laughs> um, and I've had many steps out of recovery. Um, the first one was when I was 25. Um, and I, uh, that's when I finally went to a counselor instead of a bishop. And I, I think I had just, um, I I was coming out of a a difficult, um, relationship, you know, with a, with a a young woman who had, who had, uh, told me God, said that we shouldn't be dating anymore. And man, it felt like God condemning me. It felt like unworthiness, you know, coming at me. That thing that I was trying to escape and, and numb from uh, came at me pretty hard. Um, but um, after, I don't know, after a year of, of just dealing with that in, in a, probably in a poor way, um, I, I went to a counselor and the, the big deal, and I was talking to him and just talking and telling my story for the first time in my life, really just talking to somebody, and it was so good. But then I acted out again, and it was, it was devastating to me. And I resolved, I'm never going to go see that counselor again. And that's, that had been my pattern with bishops. I had gone and, gone and confessed to a bishop, but then I would act out again, and I would never go back to that bishop, you know, if he asked me about how, um, how I was doing, I'd say, Oh, I'm just doing fine. Thank you for your help, Bishop. Right. So this was your sort of avoidance technique of ever having to be super accountable, right? You're, you're avoiding accountability through this. Yeah. I, yeah. I I think I also always wanted to be separate from the addiction. I wanted to have like three weeks of sobriety before I would uh, confess. Right. So I could say, well, I used to be addicted, um, and then falling again, you know, acting out again, you know, breaks that, that right. image. So, yeah. So you're kind of, you know, you're super ashamed and it's like, yeah, I've got to be weeks out of this before I can say anything. Yeah. Yeah. But you know that, but that specific instance, I was, um, when I acted out, I was in New York, upstate New York for a, uh, um, for a job interview and I drove over to the, the sacred grove for 
just because because after I had acted out, you know, I had a little extra time and I, I went over there and I prayed and I didn't have a big revelation experience, but that I, I really see that as a turning point. I went back to the counselor and I told him and, and that's when I stopped acting out um, the first time. Um, but I and, and got enough sobriety, you know, the, the sobriety that I had before I got married. Yeah. So that so that's a rock bottom around 25. And you turn a corner. Yeah. And yeah. so another rock bottom. Um, I acted out again when I was about 30, 31, 30, 30 years old. So you're getting pretty long stints of sobriety in between each one of these, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of sobriety. Um, it was a lot of sobriety, but no healing. Right. And so that's what this next stage was. So I acted out. My, my son was one and a half years old. I had an iPhone for the first time ever. And and uh, and he wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't sleeping well, and I made a poor choice. Um, and I act, you know, I looked something up, and I act, uh, and masturbated, and um, and I said, what, <laughs> "What did I just do? What did I just do?" It had been five years, right? The first time in my marriage, um, and I just sat there um, for half an hour, like just trying to avoid it, wishing it would go away. I finally went and told my wife. Um, and, um, and like right after, right? Like 30 yeah, minutes within later, like 30 minutes. That's, that's huge. 30 minutes is way fast. Some people, oh. some people get scared when I tell them, Hey, we have a 24 hour rule in our marriage and yeah. we have to tell within 24 hours. And the longest that I ever went was six hours before I told her, but I mean, you, you went 30 minutes. You're yeah. like, I'm, okay, I can't hold on. Yeah, to my, my preference is not to say anything. So, you know, that's <laughs> the way I like to roll. <laughs> yeah. That's the way I wanted to do it when I was an addict. So, but I can tell you, I, I, so I went and told her and can I curse all, all hell broke loose. Um, you know, it was, it was big. Um, I had not acted out before in marriage and share your, <laughs> your view. <laughs> do you want to hear? Yes, sure. I was livid. <laughs> I was completely livid. And I know now that that 30 minutes is great, but I didn't at the time. And I was so mad. You're like, why did he wait so long? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, th- I'm thinking like, going, holy crap, 30 minutes is like amazing. Yeah. And she's like flipping out. It's 30 <laughs> minutes later. Why didn't he come? Like right after. <laughs> exactly. And, well, and a therapist had to set me straight on that because I was still so mad, you know, months later. But um, yeah, I was mad because we were vigilant, like every, every week, every, you know, frequently we would check in and how are you doing and what do you need and, and how's it going for you? And like, I was so careful. I, I wasn't going to walk into, you know, what it had been like 13 years of addiction before his sobriety. And I felt like we don't mess around with that. We're going to really stay on top of this. And then all of a sudden he's acted out. I was so mad. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the grace uh, that God had set us up, he had led us to the house that we were living in in the ward and the bishop. And that bishop was, was remarkable. I went to that bishop and he was a recent addict, a recent, or he was a recovered addict. Probably two years before he had described himself as a shell of a man. Um, and, and, and now here he was as bishop and just ready to, to receive me and direct me in, in recovery. Um, he directed us to Lifestar. Um, and he received my full, you know, when, when I was ready, my full, uh, confession or, you know, 
whatever the, the list of acting out everything I had done. Disclosure. Disclosure, full disclosure. Um, and it, I just felt like I could trust him completely, right? A lot of bishops that, that, that I wouldn't have trusted or gone back to or uh, anyway, he was, he was right there ready. And I, that was God. Oh, and such a grace. Cause I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I knew yeah. we had to do something. I didn't know what I had no clue. Okay. So you, so you've acted out this one time and everybody freaks out. Right. So, and then you go see the Bishop and then it's like, and then you're like, good. You're sober for another like five years or what's, what's next. Yeah, I've, I, I have acted out. Um, I have acted out uh, from a masturbation standpoint um, rarely since that, but I, I have not been good. I've not been all good. What I've been doing, uh, I, I've been acting out in other ways. I've been acting out upstream. I've been acting out. Um, tell, tell me a little what bit about you, what you mean by upstream. Yeah. Yeah, ups. So in Lifestar, we learned about the the idea of going upstream from the addiction, and they taught us that in to in order to heal, you go upstream. You know, down. You know, the river flows downstream, and the addict is is at the bottom in, in the pond. You know, the, in the Dead Sea, um, but upstream is where the the problems happened. The 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 the, the core wounding um, uh, or the stimulus even. Um, and, um, and so the next years were, and, and even in the last months, uh, we, we continue unpacking, um, that addiction. Um, I, um, you know, a specific example, uh, would be scanning, um, you know, looking, looking for women or, oh, okay. or filtering. So sexual filtering. Yeah, sure. Um, but like I would, I would do that, you know, I would, I would, so I would create a bottom line in life star where I'd say, okay, you know, a three second rule. If I dwell on something for three seconds, you know, dwell on something sexual for three seconds, then I need to tell Sarah, I would slip, you know, I'd slip regularly. But then as we dealt with the wounds and the issues, I would, you know, slowly move that, that bottom line further and further, um, away from addiction, further and further away from anything sexual. Um, and, and it's, it's been a, a wonderful process, but I, you know, and so I've had people tell me, even in my lifestyle group, I had somebody turn to me and say, you're not an addict. You're not like us. <laughs> and I'm like, holy cow. Um, no, I'm not acting out, um, like, like you are. Um, but I have suffered from, the same wounding. I've, I don't know God. I'm further from God than you are. I, that man knew God. He had a testimony in a relationship with God and I still didn't. Um, and I was years away from that, uh, at that time. So, yeah. So just kind of dive into that. I think a lot of people would be like, yeah, this, this guy's not a, not an addict. So, um, Tell us a little bit about why you would you, why you would consider yourself an addict if we if you don't have a major history of act, you know significant amount of ask, um, acting, acting out with uh, masturbation or pornography. Yeah, well, I, I would say I had from twelve to twenty five. I would act out. Uh, you know, once once the addiction was there, I was acting out every day, uh, sometimes for hours. Right, looking, yeah. searching, um, obsessing. There were stints and bouts of of sobriety in there too, but mostly it was acting out. Um, 
Because from about 20 to 25, you didn't have any slips, right? Because that was that five-year sobriety? 30. Oh, okay. 25 to 30. Got it. 20 to 25. Yeah, there was... There was <laughs> yeah. Funny. There's still okay. a lot of acting out. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about some other rock bottoms then. So take us a little bit on this sort of upstream um, journey then and what those rock bottoms look like and what your relationship with God has been like through this process and what it's like now. Let me tell you about my spiritual rock bottom. Um, and that, that was um, probably when I was 35 or so, 36. Um, so six years after starting therapy, probably three years after starting therapy, I, I, I saw how shallow and hollow my relationship with, with God had been. Like I didn't know God. I didn't have a relationship with God. I, um, and so I um, decided that I, over, over a few months, and uh, I decided that I must be either, either atheist or agnostic. Um, and I never, you know, sat on one of those uh, titles with determination. I uh, say, well, you know, I just don't know and I can't know. Um, but if he exists, then I'm mad at him. And if, and if, uh, and if he doesn't, then, then I'll just live my life. You know, I, I've, been through therapy now and but so so I, I lived as an atheist agnostic for for a few years and my son was again one and a half when I started therapy and I'm like oh by the time he's eight and ready for baptism I'll be through this you know <laughs> I'll have I'll have figured things out uh, but no um, so we get to um, his baptism day and a month before he's going to be baptized um, my wife felt from God. She, she said, Chris, I, I feel that if you will read the Book of Mormon every day and dedicate yourself, you can do this. Um, and um, I, I didn't, I wasn't even really interested in trying. I didn't try to do it. Um, and it just, you know, it was a, an open wound for, for a month, uh, or an unnamed, something we didn't talk about much, but we get to my son's baptism morning. And finally I'm like, okay, I'll pray. And I feel like, oh, I, I got an answer. God says I can do this. So I turn to my wife and she says, and, and, and I say, um, you know, I'll do this. I've decided that I'll do it. And she says, oh no, it's too late. You have procrastinated the day of your repentance. Um, and, uh, and, and you had a chance, Chris, you could have done this, but you did not prepare for this and you, you didn't do it. So our neighbor, you know, a man, we didn't even know that well, uh, baptized my son, um, that day. So what did that do to your heart when, when she told you that? <laughs> that, that was, that hurt more than seeing somebody else baptize my son, yeah, especially cause I was still agnostic, um, Right. I was like, you know, I don't know what this this ordinance means. Um, I'm not all that into it anyway, but that hurt. <laughs> that, um, did that create resentment towards her, towards Sarah, or did it like what did it do? You say it. Me? Yeah. Well, I think that <laughs> and 
Um, he, yeah, I, I guess I would have shared that story slightly differently. Um, but for the most part, it's true. But I think that I was acting in the right, <laughs> doing a good job. But it did send him to his rock bottom. Like, I think it made him face the reality that he was making a choice and there were consequences to that choice to not lean in, to not do the work, to avoid it. Um, and so at that point, I saw a huge shift in him deciding to actually face what was going on in his heart yeah. and deal with it one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I, I began reaching out to God. I began journaling, uh, right? Like writing prayers to God. And, and one day he answered. It was, it was the most incredible thing. Like I was writing just a, a prayer to God. Um, and like so many times I had like angry, I was angry at God and, um, and then it felt, um, not not even words, but I just felt a response and I wrote it down as from him. And I ended up having a whole conversation with God that day. And it was, it was an incredible conversation. And yet, and yet I feared and I doubted it. Um, I'm like, you know, this isn't really God. Um, so, you know, I, I hit rock bottom and I didn't just, climb right out. Uh, it, it was a long process still. It was um, a roller coaster. So you're just building, building some stepping stones. Yeah, <laughs> built some stepping stones there. So then uh, three months after the baptism date, I went to a Wild at Heart retreat. Uh, I flew to Colorado. Uh, and and You actually went to the one with John Eldridge, right? The one that he runs? Yeah, yeah. The one that he was speaking in live. And um, I, I went wondering what I was doing. What, what am I doing? I'm an atheist uh, or agnostic um, going to this Christian men's retreat. Um, but it felt right. And it felt like I had been led there and um, I, I tried it out. And I, I thought, you know, um, I, I may come home from this vowing never to have anything to do with Christianity again, but, uh, but I will try it. Um, and, and it was, it was an incredible experience as you guys have heard. And, you know, when we did the, the, the other, the leading saints in a while, the heart discussion, it was an incredible experience. Um, I, after about 24 hours, I still hadn't experienced God, um, or, or didn't really know. But then in, in one of the sessions, um, Jesus just came from my heart and, and I cried for, for an hour, just strong, heavy tears um, for an hour. And, and, and even right after that, it wasn't just all easy, but it was, a, it was a choice. What I did at that point was I chose faith. I chose over that weekend, I said, okay, I'm going to choose to believe in God now. Um, and and immediately my life turned around. Um, my relationship with my wife turned around. Um, and we, we, I've seen good fruit of that uh, in the last two, two plus years. That's awesome. That actually, that experience actually completely changed you in your direction in um, bringing that particular message of Wild the Heart to other men, right? Oh yeah. You know, uh, really at first I was rumbling with it. Um, I was, I had gone from atheist or agnostic to uh, a Christian, not a, a Latter-day Saint yet, but a Christian over a weekend. 
And my relationships with friends, I had an atheist friend. Um, and what do I do with that? And my dad doesn't go to church and I had related really well with him. What do I do with that? So really I came home from that and said, I need to go deeper with this and I need to know how other people will respond to it. So I invited my six closest friends from high school to, to do the same thing, to, to go on a retreat like that with the same teachings, the same message, um, and, and see what they thought of it. They're all strong Latter-day Saints. Um, and, and it was a, it was an incredible experience, uh, for all involved. Um, and, and that solidified that for me that much more. Um, and then my wife went to captivating and that solidified, you know, us in, in that direction, um, and in that message. And it brought us closer together too, as she accepted that. Uh, and, and, I was just going to clarify. So the people that haven't heard previous podcasts that we talked about, Wild at Heart is a book um, that was written by John Eldridge, and he created a boot camp based off of that book. And then there was also he wrote a book with his wife Stacy called Captivating, which is just a beautiful book in itself as as well. And I actually loved Captivating; thought it was an amazing book. But then they also created the Women's Retreat based off of that as well. You got it. Yep. So Sarah, what kind of changes have you seen in Chris over since he's become a believer in Christ and a believer in God? Oh, that's huge. Huge changes for the better. Compare it just to normal recovery too. Like, you know, recovery. Yeah. When, I, when he was just trying to stop and not do the porn versus building a relationship with God. Yeah, I would say... On one level, it, there's, a, there's an element of time in it. Like when he's just trying to stop and work on his own, maybe it takes uh, six months to a year to, to dig into an issue in his past and to see it and then to feel it and then to address it and then to overcome it, kind of, except it's always going to kind of come back and haunt him. But then with God, it's like a week um, and he can see, do that whole process in a week. And then I think the change is deeper and it just extends out into all every part of our life. Um, or another example, maybe a specific example, is through our whole marriage, um, we've struggled with uh, his parenting. So, you know, I, anyway, I did a lot of therapy and I even worked for a therapy camp for rebellious teenagers. And so I have an idea of how I want to parent our kids. And all throughout recovery in this process, he would do things that hurt his relationship with our son and made the problem worse instead of better. And so he's working on it, you know, and I would talk to him about it. And it's like he could never get it. And just in the last couple of years with God, he can get it and he can even see it for himself because God can show it to him. And so God can show him what's going on. He can see it and God can change his heart and he can correct it. And I don't need to <laughs> direct it all. And it, I think it's lasting and real. That's awesome. Now I know, I know that um, in one of the things you talked about some key principles that, you, you know, you talked about vulnerable, excuse me, vulnerability, and then going upstream. We talked a little bit about that. Um, you talked about including God and I want to ask you, so most addicts will, will pray to God and, to be able to help them stop the addiction. But what is the difference there that you're talking about with including God in your recovery that you're talking about with your key print, one of your key principles? principles? 
Yeah, I think I, I was thinking as Sarah shared, there's an element, a strong element of humility that, that I think as an agnostic, when I was agnostic, I was repelling, always repelling and did not have that humility. Um, but with addiction, I think there's a lot of humility. Uh, the, the, the more humility I've got, I'll come and ask for help. And, and I'm learning to do that with God. Um, I'm learning to, I, I've learned to, to go to God for validation, which is a big thing. Um, God, without God in the picture, where do I go to, to say, okay, I'm enough. I am okay. I am worthy. Um, I go to accomplishments. So I go to how I'm doing, whether I'm acting out, um, um, whether people like me. Um, and with God in the picture, with God as my father, um, I go to him for validation. I go to God and say, do you love me? Am I okay? And, and then that's enough. Once, once I, I have that in my heart, um, the other agitations, um, Uh, ripple away or what would you say yeah. they, they just don't matter as much um, um, so, I can also share like that conversation that I had with God uh, that, that first journaled uh, conversation was, was so uh, there was so much love in it so knowing I think addicts struggle to feel loved um, I struggled as an addict to feel loved and to feel connection to anybody or anything. And, and God offers connection and love and abundance. Reaching out to God from a, when he wasn't real didn't, didn't solve that for me, didn't help me, and didn't help me through addiction at all. And that's why early in recovery, I, I felt like I didn't need religion anymore, um, you know, because it hadn't helped me. But, but once God was real, once I was connecting with him, um, it allowed me to, to get that cup filled of, of uh, the, the, the fatherly love, the validation that I needed. Yeah. Sarah, I would love to, So when Chris shared the story about the, bapti- the baptizing his son, um, you, you kind of were like, um, I would say that differently. Uh, so I would love to hear from your perspective, um, just that whole story, why you felt like you needed to put your foot down there and be like, nope, you can't baptize your own son. Like, that's pretty heavy. Yeah, I think um, the bottom line was the timing, Um, but it was also that, you know, my son had actually not wanted to get baptized for a while, and I was intent on honoring that, but also I know God is real, and I have a testimony of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so I wanted him to make that choice for himself. So I had spent, you know, a year praying about how to teach my son, how to change his heart, um, so that he would choose to get baptized from for himself. And and he had. I think it took about six months of God just giving me little little things to say and little things to teach. And and at some point, my son came to me and said he wanted to get baptized. But my husband is an atheist, right? 
So he's not really supportive. Um, so we talked to him and, and because it was sincere, um, Chris agreed to it. Because my son. Because, because our son's choice was sincere in his own. Chris agreed to it, which I'm grateful for, even though he didn't want that for himself. Uh, but, you know, then I did make it clear that Chris could, you know, explore and, and engage with God and get there, but he chose not to. And then the morning of, he comes in and says, I think I can do it. And I just, what was in my heart was no way. This is not real. It's not sincere. You don't know God and you don't believe in it. And that he was doing more out of an obligation that he was trying to do it as, obligate, as he was obligated to do it. Or was is he doing it like as a Pharisee, like just to be seen? Yeah, for himself. Like he, he didn't want to just not do it. <laughs> so then it was like kind of out of fear or out of his own, you know, poser maybe. So he, it's like he was going to show up for his son, except he wasn't actually showing up for his son. And what I felt like is that if he came to it from that agnostic, doubtful, like I'm posing place, that would hurt my son's experience. So I felt like I was defending my son's experience by saying, no, it's too late. I'm going to protect what he has chosen and prepared for. And I think he was just right. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. My son had an incredible experience um, that day, and, and it's a landmark spiritual experience for him. And it was my spiritual rock bottom um, allowing me to, to, to get there. Um, I'm grateful. Which is awesome that that experience changed you. Yeah. Yes. I, may I add, you can choose if, if you like it or not, but um, I, may I add that that was the second worst day in our entire marriage. <laughs> I was so mad at him. I didn't talk to him and I had never done that before or since to Chris um, for, for kind of, you know, flipping at the last minute and making me stand up in between him and, and our son rather than doing what was best for our son. I was so mad. <laughs> and actually, um, in that anger, I mean, it had been hard for so long. And I remember God telling me, this is his rock bottom. And I thought, man, it, it's awful, but it doesn't feel like rock bottom. But then it was. So it was worth it. <laughs> Chris, was that the worst day for you too? Or did you realize that it was a bad day or? I've had a lot of bad days. <laughs> yeah. Not because of her, but because of the addiction, because of the, because of days where I just felt like I had to have sex. Right. And, and it's just not going to happen, you know, under those circumstances. For example, um, I've, I've had a lot of bad days. Let's see. So Chris um, and Sarah, in what areas do you continue to struggle or face your biggest challenges in recovery. Sarah, where do you struggle in your recovery? With my own or, yeah. or in relationship to pornography addiction or just, yeah. In your own life, like, you know, in your own recovery, as far as like living with an addict or, you know, um, where do I struggle? You know, <laughs> I don't know how this will come across, but the hardest thing for me is standing up with strength to my husband and not blaming myself for it afterward. So there are times when I feel I, I'm coming to understand that it's from God, but it feels 
harsh or angry or, you know, when I say, Chris, you need to change. This is unacceptable and you have to change it and you have to change it now. Um, and, and it's hard for me to say that and not tell myself, like, I guess I give in to the adversary telling me, like, you shouldn't have said that. You're being too mean. You're not being Christ-like. You know, all those lies. But the truth is that I, the holy place is when I go back to God and he says, that was just right. This is hard. Stick with it. So, so holding to boundaries is tough sometimes for you then. Setting and holding boundaries might be tough. Is that another way of no, saying that? I guess what I mean to be saying is that I prefer to be kind and gentle um, and say things like, hey, Chris, this isn't working very well. Like, will you think about this? And instead, when I do that, Chris ignores it, especially if he's, you know, <laughs> acting out or in drama or, you know, in that mindset. Like, he just ignores it. It makes no impact. So I have to get very strong and assertive to okay. make a difference, to, to get his attention. Like, like with the baptism day. Like with the baptism day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's an awareness for you. You talked a little bit in your um, in the information you sent to us before that you had an awareness of um, what Chris has gone through and with lots of recovery and you knew the difference between the recovered man and the addict. Do you want to ex expand on that a little bit about how that related to you and what you guys were going through? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so now, in hindsight, I've learned to really tell the difference between the recovered man and the addict. And in Chris's case, his addict initially showed up, you know, way back when he was white knuckling before Lifestar. It showed up as him falling asleep when I talked to him, um, you know, kind of not being aware, not really following conversations, not really engaging in home life or you know, like if something breaks or something needs to be fixed or addressed, he's just kind of checked out and then I get to figure out what to do. Um, so kind of that. And then even in recovery, there were a lot of things like he's not as compassionate or as considerate. Like he'll say things kind of harsh or he'll, or he'll even sometimes say things that he knows will hurt me. Um, or... What are the other? Oh, man. And the biggest is when I'll say, hey, that hurt me. Like, what's going on for you? You probably have some emotions. <laughs> He'll get angry. He'll be like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Look at all these things I've done that make me fine. Um, and so that's defensiveness, right? And, and maybe even blaming me instead of, instead of humility and looking at his stuff. So the contrast is the recovered man. Um, when I say something like that, like, hey, you know, something's going on. That wasn't very nice. He'll say, oh, let me go check that out. And he'll just go pray about it. And he'll come back and say, yeah, you're right. This thing bothered me. Um, and it's so simple and so easy to work things out. Or he'll notice things around the house and take initiative in fixing it or addressing it or dealing with it. Um, or he'll parent our children with patience and kindness and love instead of kind of just wanting to get it over with and get, get it fixed, you know, and just get them to stop acting out. Um, and those are some, I, that's what's on the top of my head. Awesome. And you, you also mentioned that you don't trust him, but you trust God. 
Yeah, especially early in recovery. I, you know, yeah, because he wasn't trustworthy. And, and especially when he hadn't gone through recovery, he didn't know himself. Like he, you know, just like when we met and he said, oh, my family's great. But then as he went through therapy, he discovered that there were wounds that needed to be addressed. So it's like he didn't even know himself. So he wasn't trustworthy. I could come to him and say, hey, like, you know, I think you're struggling. And he would tell me all the reasons he wasn't struggling. But that wasn't truthful. So the truthful place for me was to go to God and say, God, I think he's struggling. (laughs) What do you want me to do about it? Um, And God would tell me, you know, or Chris would blame me and I could go to God and say, hey, God, this is what Chris said. What do you want me to do about it? And God would tell me. And so I could trust God and trust God for what I needed to do and what I needed to do in relationship with Chris and not trust Chris. So Chris, tell us a little bit about your relationship with God now. How do you feel about him? Mm. Um, my relationship with God, um, has, has, has changed my life and continues to change my life. Um, I've experienced him in, in incredible ways. Um, I've experienced patience and love um, and support and guidance. I've, I've experienced the right thing happening at the right time. I've experienced um, um, I've experienced the wrong thing happening at the right time. And um, there have been a few things in my journey where I, where I was resisting and not moving forward and, and through Sarah's prayers and and God's um, abundance, uh, you know, uh, I got the, the push that I needed um, to, to, to keep moving forward, to take the next step. Um, And, um, and I, I just, (laughs) I I wake up every morning and, and I deliberately spend one to two hours um, seeking connection with God because it's, it's so important. Um, It's, it's important for my heart. It's important for me as a, as a parent and a spouse. Um, And it's important for me in my continuing recovery, my, my continuing repentance and going further and further upstream to to heal the older and older wounds um, and things that are still getting in, in the way. Um, God is a partner now. God is a friend. God is a father, um, and I'm and I'm incredibly grateful. So, what would you say to any of our listeners who are out there who are maybe in the place where you were at where it's like, yeah, I, I'm mad at God, or maybe he's just not even there. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is all, all worth it. And, and but what would you say to even old Chris or some of our other addicts who might be, um, and New listeners, who might, yeah, who might be kind of in that place right now? Yeah. Um, thank you for that question. It's, it's so important. And, and when I used to, counsel, uh, you know, recovering addicts, um, informally as as a friend, and I never would include God 
And I would say, you know, reach out to men uh, or, or, you know, there's, read this book or, or do this. Um, and now I would lead with find God. If you want to recover, find God, reach out to God and connect with him. And, and that's, and, and then follow him. Um, I would, um, to old Chris or to, to anyone who's, you know, doubting God, um, I would say separate first, separate the church or religion from God. Like this is really important. And this was the grace that God gave to me because I grew up in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I found God through a non-denominational retreat. And, and it was so good for me to find God separate from church or from religion, to just find that God is real, separate from when I go to church, that God comes into my heart. Um, Jesus uh, cares and loves and will heal, will heal me um, as I open up to him, as I reach out to him, as I allow him in, into my life. So, so first, separate um, religion from God, and then go find God. Um, and, and he's available. Um, reach out to, 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 <laughs> to whoever you can, whatever you can. Um, a wild heart retreat is, is an incredible uh, way to do that. I'm, I'm very aggressive <laughs> um, <laughs> about inviting people to, to those. Now I'm, I'm leading my fourth one this month and uh, the, the fourth one I've led. And, and it, every single time, most, most of the men are members of the Church of Latter-day Saints, uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, and we're not trying to pull them away from the church. We're trying to lead them to God and, and they find God in that setting. But I know, I know a man that I just talked to today who said three years ago, he, he saw that he was in a rut and he just decided to start reading his scriptures, getting up early every morning and reading his scriptures. And one day he found that he had been reading for two hours and just loved it. And then the more he read the scriptures, the more he wanted to pray and he found God. Like there are so many paths to God. Um, find God, even if it's separate from Christianity, find God, find God first, and then he'll lead you the rest of the way. Um, can I go back a question? Absolutely. Yep. Oh man, and I'm. This is a vulnerable thing, um, but you asked what issues are still here in our marriage now, right? Yeah. That was a couple, a question ago, um, and I wanted to say sex is still a difficult issue that we're working on, and it's especially hard because I grew up with sexual trauma, um, and Chris grew up with the addiction with his sex addiction, and so how do you disentangle that? <laughs> And we're actually going to talk a little bit more about that in the bonus content too, because we wanted to go into more detail about that. Yeah. So what we usually do with our um, guests is we ask them if there's a, sh a song that has, you know, been meaningful for them in their recovery and um, in, in bringing them closer to God or, or meaningful in their recovery. And so if you guys had to pick a song to send us, send our listeners out with, what would that be? I would say Dancing in the Minefields by Andrew Peterson. That's when I was saying. <laughs> because it's so crazy hard. And especially navigating 
the addiction and especially recovery, right? Like I feel like recovery got a whole lot worse before it got lots better. Um, so maybe we, well, anyway, it got a lot worse before it got a lot better. And, and so it's just ups and downs like minds and we're just trying to navigate our way through it and stick together and create a beautiful marriage. But then there's bombs ready to go off all the time <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. And we're trying to figure that out. And in fact, uh, for our 10 year wedding anniversary, we inscribed, we do hard things on the insides of our rings. And it fits with that song that, that we're, we, we commit to sticking it through, even though it's hard because it will get better. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So dancing in the minefields by Andrew Peterson. So we'll, we'll finish out with, with that song to our subscribers, to the outsiders, you're bold, accepted, unashamed. We love you. Thank you. Um, if you have not subscribed, Sarah, please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Um, <laughs> social media join us on social media at unashamed unafraid to our listeners if if you have a story to share um we would love to hear from you um, particularly we would love to hear from we need we've had requests for stories from those who are divorced and are now um you know what that has been like or for those of you who are are single and struggling with addiction and um, the ladies out there, if there's any women out there that are struggling from addiction, we've had requests to our anonymous questions to hear podcasts from you as well. So reach uh, out to us, email us. Absolutely. Chris, James, Steve, CT, yep. Jason, anybody at unashamed unafraid.com. And so with that, we'll send everybody out with uh, dancing in the minefields. Well, I was 19, you were 21 The year we got engaged And everyone said we were much too young But we did it anyway We got the rings for 40 each From a pawn shop down the road And we said our vows and took the leap Now 15 years ago
the Son of Man So there's nothing left to fear So I'll walk with you in the shadowlands Till the shadows disappear Cause he promised not to leave us And his promises are true So in the face of all this chaos Maybe I can dance with you So let's go dancing in the mud 